0: All right, yeah, all right, this press conference is over. Go no away. I... No, it's over, Phil. it's over. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Opening Whistle Podcast. I am your host, John Robbins, and we are in the final sprint. Last three episodes of this, I'm going to consider it summer session, season, whatever you want to call it, before I go off on a little break to get into the flow of school and everything, but today we have Trevor Wilson, or as I like to call him, T-Pose, and today, uh, well. It's a very good episode in the sense that if you're an athlete and you're struggling with the life of outside being an athlete and your identity outside being an athlete, I think this is one that you should really listen to and really consume, Um, especially with the recent events in my local area. uh, A former Jeanette Jayhawk Trey Cunningham, football, basketball, baseball player, passed away tragically. Uh, And it really showed that being someone beyond an athlete that touches a lot of people's lives in a positive way is a very great thing to strive for and very important as an athlete to do. So you can leave a legacy for long after you are gone, Uh, whether, you know, hopefully you're... It's not a situation like Trey, where he was tragically taken from us, but in a situation where you know, long down the line, you touch a lot of lives more than just being an athlete. So, I'll leave it up to this interview with Trevor Wilson to really explain a lot more in depth about what this whole, what it's like being outside of just an athlete. T pose, as I might refer to you as, or Trevor Wilson. <laughs> I could go either one. I might list off a couple, but who really knows at this point? What is your upbringing in sports, and you know what do you do now in high school and going into your senior year?
1: Well, so I mean, obviously, this is a big process for me in the recruiting side of things. Um, like you know, like we were talking about before, you know, my junior season got canceled. Uh, in high school season, which was terrible. I mean, that was absolutely terrible. Um, so what I'm looking to do is play Division I baseball at a school somewhere. And um, as of right now, you know, we're back in the groove of summer baseball and everything's going well. And uh, for me, it's very odd. that This time of, you know, this time of year is very odd because by now I should at least be 30 40 games into the season and right now i'm just starting my season so going out and into the recruiting things uh this early in the summer and not having the high school baseball you know season to prepare you for all the showcase events and everything is kind of a um but i think i'm handling it very well and i feel like all my teammates are handling it very well um but right now you know it's a very odd time just for just for ncaa baseball in general I mean, if you think about it, Dan will be draft guy limited to five rounds. So all those guys who reach their age limit in the NCAA uh, eligibility center that we're going to be going to the draft, you know, may not have gotten drafted. So there's really this big trickle-down effect that everybody's been talking about. So ultimately, guys, they're going to be incoming freshmen, you know, oh, going into our senior year playing baseball. You know, some of these division One programs, you know, we expected a lot of uh, rising juniors next year to be leaving in college and going to play major league baseball. But the draft was limited to five rounds and that could be a problem. And now they're all staying in college and there's less room for incoming freshmen. So really it is a big trickle down effect, but I feel like I'm handling it very well. And I feel like my teammates, um, on the high school side of things and on the travel baseball side of things are handling it well.
0: So are you now just focusing on baseball or have you given up the football side of things? And I know you've kind of experimented with football but I don't know if you've given that up because you want to be better at well, baseball.
1: I, I I wouldn't say I've given it up but I've definitely focused more on baseball. You know, I, I listen I love kicking in football and I love punting and I love doing everything, you know, along those uh, things but I don't know. I feel like my, I have a future in baseball. Like I said, I've loved baseball all my life. My grandfather played baseball. Um, so he he taught me a lot of things, um, especially with pitching and hitting, and just all the fundamentals. When I was really young, uh, my aunt was a Division One softball player at Pitt, uh, and she was actually on the first Pitt softball team that there ever was. Um, and as a matter of fact, she actually hit the first uh, home run in Pitt softball history. <laughs> so that that's a little bit of a fun fact. Uh, so she she brought me up on the baseball and softball side of things um and then for my parents you know there was always that competitive instinct that was like forced upon me you know as a kid my dad was a competitive high school soccer player and swimmer my mom was a cheerleader in high school so my whole life i was raised around people who were competitive and it got me to really love the game of baseball and love competing in the game of baseball so
0: so do really th- when there. when did you think that you could really make college baseball in general a reality for you or was it, you know, something because you were, you grew up in that competitive sort of, you know, landscape with your aunts and your parents and all that. Do you think it was always there that you think you could do it or was it no, just I, I, recently you I, realized it? I,
1: I felt like it was always there, but you know, a very pivotal moment in my life was when I was playing a local Penn Township, all-star baseball. And I came across an opportunity to try out for the, uh, olympic baseball national team usa baseball at my age group and at the time i didn't think it was a long shot but i thought it was a really neat opportunity that only the best get to partake in so i went out there and i went out to uh, pullman park i'm not sure if you're familiar with the butler area uh and i you know i tried out for this usa baseball regional national team and you know a few in- i, I feel, feel like i did very well in a few weeks went by and I made it onto the next round and I was like, wow, you know, I I couldn't even believe I made it onto the next round. So I went up to Columbus, Ohio, and I made it onto the next round after that. So I actually made the regional national team uh, for USA baseball when I was 11 (laughs) at the 11U age group for Ohio Valley. So I actually represented five states in our region, uh, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Kentucky, West Virginia. I represented all those states um, for the best competitive baseball players. And when I found out that I did that and I found out that I had coaches that were faithful in me, um, that's when I knew I really had a future in baseball and that I could fulfill that that dream.
0: Now were you always primarily a pitcher? Because I know you sent me what you would usually send to a college coach. And it mentioned mm-hmm. you were a pitcher. Were you always just a pitcher or was it you know, I mean, obviously, I know high school baseball is one where you have to be very dynamic just because of limited numbers and you want mm-hmm. the best players on the field. But yep. are you pri- where do you focus your game mostly on?
1: Well, I mean, obviously, I focus my game on pitching. I mean, that, that's the number one thing. Um, for me, the reason I really became a pitcher primarily uh, is because during my freshman year of high school, I was actually a starting pitcher on the Legion baseball team. And I'm sure, as you know, these Legion baseball players are varsity baseball players. <laughs> there's, you know, there's really a lot, there's a lot of competition in that league there. So I went out there. And, I mean, I was striking out guys from Seton Hill, and I was striking out, I mean, all these guys that were committed to college and freshmen in college. And all the coaches there at the time and all my players were like, you got to focus on pitching. You really have a future in it. And that's why I was like, well, this is what I got to do. I'm doing well at it. I'm just going to stick with it. And ever since my freshman year of high school, now going into my senior year, I mean, I've stuck to it and it's really turned out well for me.
0: So you mentioned Legion Ball a little bit and you play for Bushy Run, which is the local team around here. How Mm -hmm. has that helped you cope with the loss of your senior season? I mean, you're uh, not junior season that you're never going to get that back. I mean, right. I I mean, I mistakenly said senior season, but, I mean, it's the same thing. Junior, senior year, those are two huge years if you want to be a varsity athlete. So how does the Legion ball help you cope with it in any sort of way?
1: Well, you know, here's the thing. You know, you can play as much travel baseball as you want. You can play as much showcase baseball as you want, and it's really great. There's nothing like playing with people from around your area and people you've played baseball with your whole life. And that's what it's given me the opportunity to do. So without high school baseball, you know, I didn't have the opportunity to play with my friends again. And if you think about it, I have so many really good friends uh, that were seniors last year and they just, you know, graduated. And it was really cool that a lot of those guys are coming back to play Legion baseball um, because I missed a high school season, based, you know, my last high school season um, with them. So it's really cool to see those guys again. That's really cool to play with guys, you know, that are in my grade and grades under me as well. It's really just high school baseball over again. It gives us another opportunity to play as a community, play as a team, and represent our area in a positive way. So it's
0: really cool. So do you think that's helped you teach it yourself and help you get through adversity like that? Because I know, I mean, we won't really go into it, but there's been a lot of adversity around the Penn Trafford baseball family, and I know how tough that was in this past year with the losing of the season and, you know, losing Mac and all those other things. Do you think mm-hmm. that really helped you teach yourself how to be, get through any, you know, those tough times and get through adversity as an athlete, you know, because adversity as an athlete goes beyond just on the field. It's off the field stuff. I mean, this mm-hmm. is the first time that you might've experienced something off the field that could have translated on the field. So has this real, this, these experiences really taught you to get through the adversity?
1: I, I, I mean, like you said, you know, a tragic experience happens off the field. And you can't let it affect you when you go back on the field, right? So I think this, you know, with everything that happened with the coronavirus, MAC, and everything that's, tra- you know, that's happened with this season, it really teaches all of us um, to never let that affect the mental game, which we bring onto the mound or we bring onto the field, or we bring into the batter's box every single day. Um, so I feel like that's really important. And the sad is everything that happened is, you know, over this, the course of the season, um, I feel like it's a life lesson. You know, you go in for a big interview, right? And, uh, you know, something tragic happens in your family or somebody passes away. You know, you can't let that affect your business life. And, you know, I treat baseball as, you know, as a sport and I have a lot of fun with it. But I also treat it as a job because it's my future and it's on the line every time I go out on the field. So that's what's really important to me. And it taught me a lot about how to responsibly handle, you know, your baseball side of things from your life side of things. So it, it, it really teaches me and I'm sure a lot of my fellow teammates in high school and around the area a lot of things as
0: well. So you kind of touched on what would have been my next question, which is what motivates you besides winning a game? And you mentioned the business aspect to yourself where this is your future. This is, you. Know, you as you said it, you said it perfectly, which was, it's every time you step out there, your future's on the line with this game. So how do you is that your main motivation, or is there other like branches to that motivation as well?
1: And I'll tell you my main motivation is God. And I'll just be totally honest with you there. You know, religion plays a big role in my life and that's what I always put first and my family first as well. Um but you know, from the physical side of things, health motivates me a lot as well. Um, I'm always trying to eat healthy and I'm always trying to exercise healthy and I'm always trying to do everything to make myself in a better physical state. So that means when I go out on the mound, you know, I know not to throw 90 pitches and then come out the next day and then try to throw another 40 pitches. I'm going to blow my arm out. (laughs) So you're always thinking about the future and you're always thinking about, you know, what, what, what lifts in the weight room you should be doing and, you know, how you should be doing these lifts and, you know, how you should be doing arm care routines and band work, and, and there's so much stuff that goes into it. But really taking care of your body and really foreseeing a future is what motivates me. It's not necessarily what I'm doing now that's motivating me. It's more what I'm going to be doing in the next, hopefully, five to six years that's motivating me.
0: So before we go back to the on-field aspects of things and, you know, all those types, I mean, the usual what you would see as an athlete, how has your faith helped you kind of make your game better mentally? I mean, physically, you can do all the lifting. You can do all the stuff like that. But mentally, how has your faith helped you change that? Because we've never had someone on the podcast that has really been close to their faith. And it, I want to ask people what I mean, who are open about it, Who, what's that like for you to really have that sort of base when you go out there and play?
1: I mean it's really something special you know i always go around you know i always have a chain on my neck right and that reminds me that when i'm out there you know i'm always out there pitching with the power of god behind me. so that, that that that's a really you know that that's a really important thing for me um i know i knew a guy which i really looked up to my freshman year of high school's name is joe sager he was from Duffel park um every time he would go on the mound he would kneel behind him and you know, pull like a Tim Tebow kind of thing, he would, he would perform the Trinity. So when I saw that, I was like, wow, you know, you can really make a connection between your faith and your baseball and your sports and your athletics. I mean, you can make a connection between faith and whatever you want to make a connection between. So I know in my mind, you know, going to church every, you know, Sunday and, you know, constantly reading Bible verses and all this stuff that, you can really compare athletics to what what has occurred in the Bible as well. I mean, you think about all these great historians who have analyzed stories in the Bible, and these people prevail, and they do amazing things. That, that's, that, that, I kind of look at that, and I know to myself, like, hey, I'm going to use that to help me a lot. And I know personally, just as I've been raised by my parents and by my grandparents and by everybody in my family, you know, we're an extremely religious family. And that's why I've grown up in the sense knowing that I cannot, I can do nothing without God. So that's why I know in my mind that I have to perform under myself, but I also have to perform for Him and with Him. So you know, and I'm really happy you kind of we elaborate on that a little bit because, on top of all the questions you asked me today, that is definitely the most important answer I'm going to give.
0: Well, I mean, that's great to hear. I mean it. It's certainly an aspect that it, it's something that. I mean, certain people are not comfortable with talking about their faith. And, you know, it's a very, I wouldn't say touchy, it's just people don't really like to discuss that publicly, especially in a forum like this. And it's nice to hear someone who is open to talk about that and open to questions about it. And now here's my question for you. What is your favorite Bible verse that you would really think I mean, you said you you can make the connection anywhere with your faith. So, what you, what Bible verse really thinks connects you to your play on the field? If you can name one,
1: um, I'm not really sure what chapter or what verse it is, but it's a, it's a quote that I've always come across, and it's "I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me."
0: Philippians four thirteen. Yes, yeah, that's one yep. I had on my I mean, helmet that, at one point, and I. Did you really? That's awesome. I know. It and I'm not and the most you? religious guy. I mean, I still had it on there cuz it's a it's a great Bible verse. I mean, it just straight up it's a it's it's a very powerful one. Mhm. So. and uh
1: yeah, and there's also another one from the book of Matthew that I'm a real fan of. Um it's, you know, uh it, it talks about how any kingdom divided against itself will be laid waste and and any household divided against itself will never stand. That's in Matthew chapter 12. And what that's pretty much talking about is from not just a personal side of things, but a team side of things. You got to think of your team as your kingdom, right? So if you're, if there's division amongst the team and there's not unity, uh, amongst the players behind you and in the field, um, you're going to get nothing done. So I thought that was a really good one too, but definitely the one I can, uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me that, that, that is really impactful, especially, you know, when I'm in a tough situation on the mound or something, I can just, you know, kind of think back to that verse and know in myself and in my heart that I'm going to get the job done with him. So.
0: Those are two great ones. I mean, uh, that, those are, you know, awesome ones to hear. And I hope, you know, anybody that's listening to this, that is, you know, either questioning faith or whatever situation you're in because I don't want to generalize what people are in but you can take those away and take them and connect them in some sort of way however you want to because I mean your faith is your faith I mean I, it I mean that's a whole conversation for another day but it really is but yeah but going it's to it's a good one it's just it's a very long conversation and it's a it's just it's a very complicated one
1: it is and it's hard to understand but once you start You know, once you start getting results from it, and you start really putting yourself in a great position, you know, to be one with God on the field and in your everyday life, it really prepares you for a lot of things in the future, which is really
0: important. Well, going back to the baseball side of things, I mean, not to make the quick swerve, but the you're a pitcher, so a day you go out, you're pitching. What is your pregame routine like to get your head, your headspace ready, get your get physically ready to pitch?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so obviously, and I know this is something that could be definitely looked at as kind of odd, but people say that the car ride to the game is not important. I'm telling you, the car ride to the game may be one of the most important pre game things that, you, that an athlete can do. I mean, for me, it's listening to some good music, looking out the window, and focusing and imagining myself. Um, pitching very, very well. In a game you know I, I had an old hitting coach that told me before you go up to bat you always got to look into the outfield of where you want to hit the ball and if you don't do that you're going to have no idea of what you want to achieve so mentally i get myself prepared in the whole car right there and then walking to the field and then once i get to the field it's all physical right from there i start i immediately go on the outfield and I, I do a jog to the center for the wall and back to the dugout I do a little bit of a, a, a dynamic warmup. I do some shuffles, some karaoke, stuff like that. Some static warm up, arm stretches, lunges, all that stuff. Um, and then I do some J-band workouts, which is ultimately, there's a little uh, like carabiner that you put onto a fence post. And then you do some band workouts, loosen up your rotator cuff um, and your elbow. And then I uh, then I immediately go right out with somebody else, either one of the other pitchers or a position player, and I do some long toss work, which is pretty much you know throwing a little bit, tossing a little bit, and then backing it up uh, upwards of 250 to 250 feet, you know, throwing a baseball, and then bringing it back in and uh, starting to throw a bullpen and getting prepared to start in the game.
0: So, what is your pitching arsenal like?
1: So, I got a, I got a decent amount of pitches uh fastball obviously uh 2 seam 4 seam fastball i like the 2 seam fastball cuz it runs a lot uh w- which is really important for tail um i have a curveball that's really nice it moves it drops it's more of a 115 uh, it's kind of between eleven five twelve six curve curveball um more of an 115 actually but it, it's it's really good for you know fooling batters you see it you see a fastball that tails outside and then you see a curveball that comes right in at you and it could be really confusing for them which is good I have a cutter, which is ultimately a four seam fastball. Just moving your finger placement a little bit, kind of looks like a slider, but it moves a lot quicker. Um, I have a changeup, which is really good. I have a lot of pronation on it, um, so it dives, you know, away from a righty batter in on a lefty batter. You know, obviously changes up their timing, and then I have a traditional slider, which cuts, which really goes hand in hand with the two seam fastball because the two seam fastball runs away quickly and the slider runs in very quickly so you know that's pretty much what i have in my pitching arsenal um but it's really worked out you know really well for me to this point you know there's a lot of guys say, "Oh, you should try a splitter you should try this you should try that you know i like to stick to the basics until they uh until batters start hitting my stuff and then i'm going to change stuff up but up until that point it's really worked well for me and i just kind of rotate evenly between those pitches and everything it's pretty
0: good I mean, you don't want to get too complicated and start overthinking things, and then it just kind of all tumbles out, and you just—I mean—you just start fraying at the seams and all those types of things mentally. Because oh, pitch, right. pitching is so mental. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's one on one for a hundred pitches, and it's—I mean, I I couldn't do it. I mean, I certainly couldn't do the one on one aspect a hundred times per game, and just getting physically tired and then mentally tired and all those million other things.
1: Yeah, no, it's you know, you have to give a lot of credit to the catcher too, because the catcher is the guy who looks at who's coming up to bat and the catcher is the one who calls the pitches inside and outside. You have to put a lot of trust in your catcher, uh, to be calling the right pitches at the right times, you know, to get each batter out that comes up to bat. So that, that, that's really important too, is having a trustworthy catcher, which i thankfully had, uh, knock on wood <laughs> for the past, uh, past good amount of my years of my life in pitching.
0: How often do you wave off a pitcher in a game? A catcher in a game?
1: Well, you, rarely the wave offs that I do are actually uh, are actually from me. Usually wave offs are just to mess up a hitter's timing. So you know, if you, that, let's say you're a batter and you see that a pitcher, you know, calls a you know the catcher calls a fastball and then one Mississippi, two Mississippi, then the pitch is thrown. So sometimes wave offs aren't even called by the pitcher. Um, like I know with a lot of our teams, we'll have wave-offs called by the catcher. So the catcher will like shake his hand, and then I'll know to shake it off, which really means nothing. But in reality, it's just messing up the hitter's timing. Um, but there are, are also times that I shake off the catcher um, when I think it's a pretty bad call, but that, that's pretty rare. I usually don't do that at all.
0: I've actually never heard of messing up the timing of a batter. I've never, mm-hmm. I've never heard that as a strategy before. All these years I've watched baseball, yet never would have thought of that as a strategy.
1: Yeah, it is, because sometimes batters will come in, you know, they'll say, okay, oh, the catcher just called the pitch. Okay, here comes the pitch. One Mississippi, two Mississippi, and then they'll hit it. And then they're getting, if you, but if the catcher, you know, incorporates some shakeoff signs that mean nothing, and it's only just messing up the timing of the batter, you know, it, they can really get on their heels and then be nervous. And then they'll say, okay, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, oh, wait. There's no pitch coming yet. Oh, there it is. Oh, I missed it. So that's kind of how. That's kind of the strategy behind that.
0: Huh. I've 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 seriously never heard of that before. I mean, yeah, I've I've talked to pitchers before, but no one's ever told me that one before. I've never never heard it. But so, still keeping with you know you playing in a game. What are some of your favorite games that you've played in, or one of the best ones that you've played in at you know throughout your career?
1: Well, the probably there's two that I definitely want to talk about. The first one I want to talk about was uh, the fall of my sophomore year. Um, I went down to a perfect game tournament. I don't know if you're familiar with perfect game. It's pretty much like the scouting report, the main scouting report agency of our country for baseball players. So I, they hold these national tournaments that have all the best players in the country that they go to. Uh, So I went down to a perfect game tournament in uh, Fort Myers, Florida. And we were sitting in the hotel room conference room with my team. Uh, The night before we started pole play and we looked on our schedule and we were playing this team that was sponsored by Marucci. Uh, They were called the Louisiana Knights. We saw this team. We're like, who are these guys? So we clicked on their team profile and we saw that it was a commit team, and I'm not sure if they have this for lacrosse, John. I'm not really sure.
0: Yeah, I can kind um, of go into it once your answer is done.
1: Yeah, so so this, these commit teams, uh, they are basically um, just travel teams that players that are committed to schools have to play for. <laughs> so um, basically, Louisiana State University, which is LSU, one of the best baseball schools in the country, has a committee team called this Louisiana Knights. They're sponsored by Marucci. So anybody who's a committed baseball player to, you know, in the class of 21, 2021, who's committed to uh, LSU, has to play on this Louisiana Knights team. And they were all on this team, and our coach had no idea who to pitch against them. So he's like, you know, right after the meeting, the meeting, you know, sets out, and he's like, would you be willing to pitch against these guys? And I said, well, really, I got nothing to lose. You know, if I pitch really well, I'm going to get a ton of recruiting looks. And if I pitch really bad, well, it is what it is. These guys are LSU (laughs) commits. So I I took it as an opportunity and I went on with it. Two days later, I go out there and I pitch, uh, six innings, one earned run, three strikeouts. Um, I absolutely dominate these guys. So the point of that, the point of that whole story is, is it's one of the best games I've ever pitched in because I knew what I was facing. And yeah, I still didn't let it phase me. And the amount of scouts there was insane. Uh, it, them all, you know, coming to watch these major league scouts, coming to watch these guys play. And then they see me out on the mound just shutting them down, you know, and that, that was really big for me. Um, that, like I said, that team was unbelievable. I mean, I looked up some of those guys now. A few of them got drafted in the pit last, last draft, which is not really surprising, but. I mean, these are Major League Baseball players. They were all stacked onto this one team. And after that, I got, a, I got, uh, two weeks later, I came back to Pittsburgh and I got, you know, let in the mail. Oh, you know, you're going to get an award for perfect game. Uh, I made the all tournament team. So that was a huge deal for me. Um, which is pretty much like the all star team of the tournament. Um, I made the all tournament team just for my performance there. And so that was really the, uh, the one, uh, big thing a really big game that I've ever played another, another one that was really important for me in my life was um, playing in Cary, North Carolina from a regional national team so I told you that when I was 11 you know, I made the USA Baseball regional national team represented five states um, and we went down to Cary, North Carolina to compete um, You know, in the NTIS Champions Cup which is NTIS stands for the National Team Identification Series pretty much so they're trying to identify people for this national team. And we played, uh, in, the, in our last game, we played a team that was called USA Baseball Capital, which is pretty much states like North Carolina, Virginia, Maryland. And this this region was really, really good. And we were actually up 4-3 uh, in the bottom of the sixth inning. Um, and they called me in to close out the game. And I did 3-3 three three out. Um, so that was really one of the best Uh, pitching moments in my life too with all those people there you know cheering me on it was it was absolutely unbelievable i mean it's an olympic atmosphere really at Cary, north carolina the national Training complex so between those two games i mean those are by far the best two games that i have ever ever played in in my life and uh i hope there's definitely more moments like that but to this point those were just outstanding performances on my part and outstanding games that i've played in
0: wow those are two amazing stories. So I wanted to go back to the whole, like, club thing. So in lacrosse, it's kind of like, it's more closer to AAU basketball. So okay. these guys, they sign up for clubs teams, and then they just go, like, in AAU basketball, there's, like, these huge fields, just, just field after field, and they just play these tournaments in the summer, and then they just get be- better. And then once you turn to high school, you start going to the recruiting showcases, and then it's prospect days, and then you do all these things in the summer and it's not like football would be where it's in the spring and you watch it and then you go, once you commit, you usually end up on a committed team, but not on a team that is specific to a school. So one of the top club teams in the nation is team 91, team 91 Mm -hmm. committed would not have guys going to, would not be just all guys going to Syracuse. It would be like Syracuse, Johns Hopkins, uh, all these other places, and it, it would be you know. Oh, my dad tried the cold, anyways. They so they would just try to get, just get to play, and mm-hmm. and then once you get to your senior year, going into college, you play. Usually, it's a committed academy or committed something or the Under Armour All American Game or something like that, and then it goes or. Lower guys, what they'll do, guys that aren't committed to a big school and don't get the media attention, they usually go to, like, a men's league, which is what I'm going to. Mm-hmm. You play, you know, that sort of level, get used to the speed. And it, it's not like baseball where it's just one team that you you commit to, as you said, Louis, uh, LSU. Then you're on mm-hmm. the LSU committed team. No, it's, it's very much like AAU basketball where it's, you join a club team. You usually stay with that club team your whole life, and then you go up, and then you just go out through the committed academy, and then you're off to college. That's usually yeah, how it that, is.
1: And that's that's another thing too. Like that's, that's, definitely how it's different from other sports too, because it's not even just big schools that do that. Like I know there's a small Division two school out in the university uh, out in Alabama. It's the University of Montevallo. I'm sure you haven't heard of it. Yeah. No. Um, nope they had they had a commit team that actually just came up to Butler and played in the tournament that I pitched against. so I see this team called the UM Falcons and I'm like who are these guys so I look them up and go, oh my gosh it's the University of Montevela commit team they were actually really good but you know little do you know that a lot of these teams that we're facing now you know at the sixteen year old seventeen year old level all the guys on these teams are committed uh, so it really makes so really if you, in, in in an essence you know when you're pitching against commit teams' you know, you're pitching against the future of Louisiana State Baseball, you're you're pitching against the future of University of Montevallo, and it's it's really interesting. It's cool.
0: How early do these guys usually commit to their schools?
1: Well, it, I mean, it, it depends. I mean, you know, it depends also when you mature and stuff, you know, how strong you are. Um, I've held off committing anywhere um, for the sole purpose of weighing my options. Um, could I have committed two years ago absolutely would i have wanted to commit it abs two years ago absolutely not because for me you know i feel like i have the grades and i have the talent you know to go higher and higher every day so that's ultimately what i want to do now some i mean i know an eighth grader who just came into dauburn <laughs> so if you think what? about it i mean yeah he did i it was just absolutely ridiculous I saw it on perfect games website and I'm like oh my gosh I saw him play in Florida um oh, I can't eighth remember his grade.
0: name I could
1: yeah 8th grader you gotta look it up I it could was barely ridiculous. do
0: algebra in 8th grade let alone oh, commit to a baseball team what in the world
1: yeah it was 8th grade baseball player committed to Auburn and I when I saw that I was like that is unbelievable and you know what's funny is that um <laughs> How hard he was throwing at the time in eighth grade, I was actually throwing two miles an hour harder than that, which is really weird. But I also feel like, um, I also feel like college coaches are a little concerned right now with the future of what's going to happen. And oh, are people, are, you know, young kids still going to be playing baseball? Are their parents going to be scared of the coronavirus? You know, what are we going to do? How are we going to go out and recruit people? You know, so, Really, with that, I think they're trying to you know find people that are going to commit to their teams early, that are decent national players, and that's a decent strategy. Um, but I'm the type of guy that likes to wait it off and see all my options before I make a decision on it.
0: See, in lacrosse, it's it used to be you would get recruited in ninth grade, and then you would commit. You, you most of these guys would commit their sophomore year, and then the rules changed for the 2020 class where it was September. It was July 1st of your going into your junior season, they could start recruiting you. So guys start committing later. I never played club ball. I never went in the summer, so I never got any looks. And then I just wasn't that good flat out. And then this year I got, you know, teal called and all that stuff. And, you know, I'll go into that at a later date. But – and then you commit your senior year, which is – unless you're – if you're a top guy, that's so rare. Most of these guys, they commit just before their junior season or – the fall sure. of their junior year. I mean, if you're a really big guy, it's usually July first. Hits. You've taken unofficial visits to the school in a student aspect, so you know the school, mm-hmm. and then they commit the next day. I mean, I've seen that yeah. happen. It, it's mm-hmm. it's insane. So the so that
1: yeah. So just just to let you know, uh, the the average the average time that a baseball player a competitive baseball player would commit is in late August, early September of This summer for me. So they're going into their senior year. The summer going, the late summer going into their senior year is when they'll usually commit.
0: Okay. Yeah. That, that seems, I mean, that seems about right for any sport. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. you. You usually just see the stories pop of these guys committing so early. I mean, I think football is the only one where you don't really see kids commit super early in this story. No, oh,
1: yeah, because they want they want to, you know, college football coaches really want to see how you perform your senior year before they can make a decision on you, yes. which is smart
0: because they're it's it's such a sport where you need to be bigger, faster, stronger, and s- mm-hmm. just so much above your competition that if you are going to a really big school, it usually takes you know, a lot more to be good there. Especially because yep. you're competing, because your second string is better than most teams' first string. Oh, for sure. So, I mean, in baseball, it's a little bit different because there's more, I mean, it, pitcher is difficult because it's only one guy on the mound at a time, but there's more rotation than there is in football where you can just go too mm-hmm. deep and you're fine. Right. But it, it's, it, it's, a, it's just different environments between all sports. But you did mention a little bit, the student aspect, and you put in your letter, you have an, old, an over 4.0 GPA. It's insane. How are you able to keep up that high of GPA while playing at such a high level?
1: Well, you, you know, there's this one fun thing that people call late night studies, <laughs> which really I've gotten used to. um You know, you obviously have practices, you have football training, and then you have conditioning for baseball, and then you have travel team conditioning for baseball. And then you come home and it's nine o'clock at night and you haven't even uh, started your homework. (laughs) So, really, you know, I've gotten used to just mentally conditioning myself, you know, to be able to stay up and study and, you know, discipline myself in order to say, hey, you know, I got to put my grades first and I got to, you know, really treat my academics seriously. But ultimately, you know, when I'm doing these late night studies and I'm trying to figure out, you know, algebra equations or calculus formulas or anything like that. I keep in the back of my head that college coaches like to see good grades. They like to see students, that they don't have to in a way babysit when they are, you know, in college and are collegiate athletes. You know, I don't think any college coach on earth wants to have to tell any of their players, Hey, you know, you are two letter grades away from being academically ineligible. You really have to start working hard You at, they don't have time for that. They have time to you know coach their sport and they have time to win a championship. So that's what I'm trying to alleviate stress off of them and alleviate stress off myself. And also know that, you know, one day, you know, I really hope to play professional baseball and that's what I want to do with my life. But one day, you know, that all ends, whether that's when you're 45, whether that's when you're 25, you have to keep in the back of your mind that athletics won't last forever and you need to be smart enough to go out in the real world and get a job and provide for yourself and for your family. So that that's, that's also another inspiration behind that. But ultimately, you know, I feel like, you know, Ken Trafford has given a lot of great academic opportunities for me and I take advantage of them on top of the athletic opportunities that they've given, you know, to me as well. So it's a really good fit that I've found for academics and athletics on the same field.
0: So, you, I mean, you mentioned a little bit how you don't want coaches to babysit you, and you'd know how slim the talent pool like difference between players is. And most of these coaches now, it's mostly about if you're a good person and a good student, and they'll pick you over a guy that might have more talent. Do you mm-hmm. do you think that's helped you get recruited? I mean, you can't probably go into much how you're getting recruited, but do you think that's helped you get recruited by schools just being such a successful? student not just in the classroom but out of the classroom doing extra extracurriculars and all those things that go into being a high school student
1: yeah well there's a college coach I've been talking back and forth with right now um, that they treat academics very very seriously and only the smartest and brightest kids get into the school that I'm talking to Um, so ultimately it doesn't take away you don't want to limit yourself of opportunities. You know, they always say like, oh, how do you get yourself on a college recruiter's list? And I always like to say, how do you get yourself not crossed off a college recruiter's list? So, you know, a, a college coach from an Ivy League school if say is watching me pitch. You know, they can't, they have to work with the admissions folks, you know, at the university as well, on top of things. do so you can't, I could be the best pitcher on earth, but, if I don't have, you know, the SAT score and the UPA necessary to go to, let's say, Yale, I mean, they're not going to even consider taking me because Ivy League schools have such a prestigious name and they don't want to risk that. So that, that that's kind of, you never want to give, the other reason I really focus on academics is because I never want to limit myself with opportunities. I never want a college coach to say, I really want him as a baseball player, but he just doesn't have the grades. You know, that, that would be really sad to go through all the physical work, you know, of conditioning and training for baseball and being turned away because, you know, you have poor grades. And that happens for a lot of people, but, you know, I've made my life's mission to let that definitely not happen to me.
0: So what would you want to major in when you get up to college? Or is it still kind of undecided?
1: Yeah, I'm definitely going you know, to be doing pre-med studies. Um, I want I would like to go into orthopedics one day, you know, get an MD, in practice, uh, orthopedic specialty. Um, but yeah, definitely I'm going to be majoring in pre-med hopefully getting, you know, that bachelor's in pre-med and then moving on one day, uh, to pursue my medical doctorate.
0: You know, I never knew that you would have been a pre-med guy to be perfectly honest. Really? Yeah. Nope. Would have never thought you would have been pre-med guy. I thought you'd be a political science major and, oh. and or like some sort of managing, people type thing
1: yeah well you know and that's what a lot of people think too everybody says oh you're going to the poli fire right and i said oh no i'm not <laughs> Pre med. <laughs> you know shocking. i really like i re- i really like i really like the idea of uh of helping people you know and i see especially what's going on with the coronavirus nowadays you know there, there's a serious calling for doctors and there's a serious calling for people who have you know the the intellectual power to go out and you know perform surgery on somebody who really needs it and you know i feel like that's a calling for me to you know to use my brain for the true betterment of society and of the human race
0: so hopefully i have uh dr wilson helping me out one day getting my medical treatments from whatever ivy league school that you might end up at
1: oh absolutely
0: (laughs) (laughs) so i got one last question and i know you give Mm -hmm. a pretty good answer on this one What is the best game you've ever seen in person as a fan? Not as a player, but strictly Mm. as a fan.
1: I'm going to tell you, I think the best game I've ever seen in person was, it was in late August of 2016, and it was Pittsburgh Pirates at Chicago Cubs. And I was actually at Wrigley Field, packed stadium. Lucky. And this is the year, this was the year, That that the Cubs actually won the World Series, Um, and it actually went into extra innings. Game went into 13 innings, long, Um, and there was a play at the plate, and everything was so dramatic. And then you know the runner was called safe, and the Pirates won. And then there was a bunch of drama, and then you you know you had the umpires send it to New York for review. This was also the first year that video review was available. So then they send it to New York for review. And they're taking a look at it, and then, you know, they actually found out that the tag was placed on the uh, was placed on the runner there, and the Pirates actually ended up losing that game. Um, as sad as it is that the Pirates lost, that was the most electric atmosphere I think I've ever been in for baseball in my life. That was ridiculous. Packed regularly sealed. The Cubs were on the way to win their World Series. They did win their World Series this year. That year, I saw my favorite pitcher at the time, Jake Arrieta, be on the mound, and then I saw Roland Chapman hit 103 miles per hour on the mound. That that was the most energetic and alive game that I have ever seen in my life. That was just unbelievable.
0: So, what other besides Wrigley? Are there any other historical ballparks that you've been to?
1: Oh, I've been to many. I've been to many, many historical ballparks. Um, I've I don't know if this counts. I've flown over City Field at the Met Stadium, landing in Manhattan, which was really cool. Um, I've been to. Or is it
0: JFK? Which one's in Manhattan? Is it Laguardia? Uh, Laguardia. I, it's LaGuardia. LaGuardia. Okay. Laguardia.
1: Yes, they're flying into there. Uh, I was actually funny story about that. I was coming up from a Patriots game in Boston, of course. Uh, opening night. Yeah, opening night uh, of the uh, of one of the NFL seasons. There, Steelers were playing on Thursday Night Football. Uh, in Foxborough. Oh, I actually know which one you're talking
0: camp. about. They got mm-hmm.
1: pummeled. They did get pummeled, but hey, I had box seats. It was awesome.
0: Box seats?
1: <laughs> I did. is Isn't that crazy? How? <laughs> absolutely crazy. My dad knows some people from a corporate company that he works with.
0: Can I meet your dad? That's
1: insane. Yeah. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Unbelievable. The experience is absolutely unbelievable. So, anyways, I'm flying back. Um, and you know, we fly over city field and I'm like, Oh my stars. That, that's unbelievable. Right in the middle of the city. You know, that that I just thought that was ridiculous. And
0: yeah, then in I've Queens, been to, I think it is. Yeah, it is. I thought so.
1: And then I've been to, uh, uh, Los Angeles Angels stadium there, Angel stadium and Dodger stadium as well. Those are two other pretty big stadiums that I've been to.
0: Have you been to Fenway? That's my bucket list. I
1: have been. To, I have been to Fenway. I <sighs> actually took a. Actually took a tour of Fenway, which is really really cool. I'm um, so you jealous. You definitely you de- definitely have to take a tour if you go. Oh, it's really? Need.
0: I want to go. My whole dream scenario is a Pirates Red Sox series at Fenway. Tickets for all three games of the se- three or four, probably just three games, on top <laughs> of the Green Monster.
1: You see, that would just be unbelievable. That would you be know, that's perfect. hard though. That's. That's really hard to, uh, unless there's a World Series, you never know when Pirates will ever go to Boston because of the National League, American League
0: difference there, which is yeah, but kind of a pain. Yeah, I can, but I can always hope. I can always You can hope, always hope. Always hope, Trevor. You can always <laughs> hope about those types of things. So I wish you good luck. I mean, I know you still got a Legion ball season to complete. You got... Yes, we do. Yes, and... I'm not really keen on how many games you're playing in that, but I I'll try to make it out to one. I know you, you, you definitely you, need to. I know you sent me your schedule. I need to look back at it and go over it because I've got box lacrosse on weekends now, so my weekends are kind of consumed with and then work mm. during the week. But we will figure it out. I will come out to a game and make sure to meet your dad and put a good word in his ear to get me box seats at Gillette Stadium. <laughs> So. Awesome. Yeah, this was nice talking to you uh pose Trevor. However you want to be addressed. I know you go by various <laughs> aliases. Both, Both. <laughs> various yes, aliases. Sir, I do. But this was fun Trevor. Uh hope it you have was. A, a great day and uh thanks for coming on. This was fun. All right.
1: Thank you, John. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah. And that was the interview with Trevor Wilson uh you know, just more than being an athlete and more than being you know, a guy who just goes on the field or a girl that goes onto the field or court or whatever and performs. It, it's more than just that. It's its really being someone who can inspire people and really carry a weight and really... And also, not just touching other people, really affecting your own personal life. And really, and we, we went to faith, and next week will be... A, an episode also that we go more into faith and being outside of an athlete. So I'll leave that up to next week. Um, But, I mean, here, myself, the last six months, there's been two athletes, both college athletes that passed away, tragically, McLean Mound and Trey Cunningham. Uh, I'd like to send my condolences to those families. I mean, uh, I was still back in January when Mac passed away, it was tragic, and Trey now passing away, and, you know, it's really a gut-wrenching thing as an athlete, but, you know, to both those families, uh, send my condolences, and uh, I, I think the best thing I can do is, you know, as we can all do, is try to remember them, and, you know, It means tragedy that their their athletic careers are cut short, but it's more tragedy that their lives were cut short. So, you know, these tough times, especially in this country, let's you know all remember don't take things for granted. And I think I'll just leave that podcast at that. And I think you know, I think that's a good place, a good message to send to everybody listening. So, thank you all for listening, and hope you all have a great day.